Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know, kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't care. I never have. Never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Pain Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast, powered by FanDuel Sportsbook. NFL Week 11, we are officially through the midway point of the professional football season. I'm your host, Todd Furman, joined as always by my esteemed colleague and co-host, the one, the only Pain Insider. But before we get rolling here on this Thursday morning, I want to encourage you, our loyal listeners, FanDuel.com backslash bet the board. Take advantage of your $1,000 risk-free bet for new user signups, 30 to 1 enhanced odds on some of the biggest NFL games this weekend, and a variety of other great boosted bets promos and single game parlay offerings to put your money to work for you this weekend in pain like we always do on thursday morning uh, to trying to reflect on what we saw monday night that was the 49ers team we expected to see week in week out in 2021 never got to four never made a single red cent <laughs> so annoying that makes two of us so don't feel bad in that regard watching a team win box to wire and go like the side waited for my number never got there never bet it yeah one of the more frustrating things when you have principles and are disciplined adhering yes there you go disciplined is the right word now a lot of running on early downs and it worked that was kind of one question mark we had and sometimes you get too far into the weeds where on the surface it looked like the Rams have struggled to stop the run but they were a little bit better on early downs that was not the case got the play action going for Jimmy Garoppolo Shanahan was a wizard getting Debo Samuel the ball away from Jalen Ramsey and everything just kind of flowed it's pretty impressively when you watch what Kyle's done offensively he's got something over this Rams team knowing their personnel. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's most teams, right? Like, we went into that game saying we understand the reason Kyle Shanahan's getting bashed a little bit, and we realize that he's a head coach now, right? We, we have to gauge him as being a head coach, and that includes what goes on sometimes with the defense, managing the locker room, 
he can't just be like a guy that's on the sidelines with a clipboard in hand worried about the offense, right? But we know what he is offensively. And, and even with all of those injuries and you know, still like the sixth best offense in the league, right? With a quarterback that everybody wants to replace and thinks stinks. So we know his offensive acumen and it was on full display again Monday night. Outright dog winner. I know we used it in the contest because the contest was four, but never got there once limits rose it did get picked off a little bit earlier in the week but yeah that was one that i certainly regret not being on just seeing obviously after the fact how easy it was but we were just very close and being disciplined as you alluded to left us a winner off the board we'll see if the 49ers can use that to spark their season obviously other big picture vested interest there from the team in the bay area a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the games this week Payne. we have a full slate of course we'll also preview the monday night football game here a great interview with john sheeran that i think a lot of our listeners will find very informative and insightful but i'll let you handle the upcoming holiday schedule so we don't leave any of our listeners in a lurch along with the uh. promo that we're throwing out there a week from Monday. Yes, we can do that at the beginning. I typically know the best bets, the area where everyone listens to. I've been saving it for that. We'll do it again there too. We, yes. Okay. That works. So basically as everyone knows, that's been a long time listener, uh, Thanksgiving week, we do one podcast where the NFL in college football can join. We will not have a Monday podcast. And this will likely come out late Tuesday, first thing Wednesday in time for your travels. We're just kind of figuring out our travel schedule to make sure things jive. But look for one podcast. All of the games will be time stamped. So if you're just a college guy, awesome. If you're just an NFL guy, cool. You'll be able to just pick and choose your spots there. But no podcast this upcoming Monday. But we return on Monday the 29th. That'll be our 400th episode for Bet the Board. We'll be doing a Twitter contest cash prizes involved and then because it is thanksgiving and we want to give away we're doing another apple podcast contest go into apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review and a nice little comment we'll draw three winners and give out cash to each of those guys as well so get in those five-star reviews that'll be announced on monday the 29th the winners along with the social media contest that will be running which is skill-based based on that monday night football game you probably deserve a medal for lasting through nearly 400 podcasts with me over the last handful of years I detect no lies. No, that's truthful. That's an honest assessment. We all have to be self-aware of our strengths, weaknesses, and whatever else we bring to the table. And there are plenty of weeks where I ask myself what I'm bringing to the table, and I'm not quite sure. So the fact that we're able to achieve 400 episodes, like you said, uh, it's a credit to our listenership that's grown from the handful of folks that have been with us from day one when we recorded on uh, Go to Meeting. Back in the day, essentially using tin cans, hopefully we've improved our audio quality over the years and the content that's come along with it as the results obviously speak for themselves. On to Thursday night football, Payne, in a game that's lost a little bit of intrigue amid Atlanta's current form. You have two teams coming into this game with from very different ends of the spectrum. New England absolutely destroys Cleveland. Last Sunday, the Atlanta Falcons get embarrassed boat race whatever adjective you want to use to describe their performance in Dallas and here we are with New England a six and a half point road favorite for their trip to the Mercedes-Benz Dome total at FanDuel Sportsbook sits at 47 when you look at the Pats they remain unbeaten on the road this season the last time they started 5-0 and on the highway they went on to play in the Super Bowl every time they've started 5-0 and on the road they've made the playoffs including making the Super Bowl the last three times it's happened meanwhile when you look at Mac Jones he's passed most of the Tets so far in his rookie season 
This will be the fourth start as a road favorite this year, tying Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Ben Roethlisberger for the most by a rookie going back to 2000. We know about the Patriots and their coaching advantage. Most games that they plan, it's been especially evident on short weeks and short rest where the Patriots have gone 12-1 and straight up, 11-1-1 and against the spread in short rest since 2016. Of course, a lot of those games were with Tom Brady. Yes, I know. Save your breath, all of you folks that want to try and patrol the content we hand out here. When you try and handicap this game, we know Atlanta is a little bit limited offensively. New England is getting their ground game going. They play a physical brand of football. If you're Atlanta and you're Arthur Smith, what's your game plan got to be to try and cover this football game, let alone having a chance to win it outright? So, you know, I think let's start with the numbers that you mentioned from FanDuel and the part that we struggle with as betters, if you are doing this right, is figuring out if price is too much to pass up, even if the matchup flat out stinks. That's kind of where I'm at with with Patriots Falcons. We make this roughly six on a neutral. So so taking seven with Atlanta at home makes a world of sense price wise. And you would expect a little bit more of an enthusiastic effort after you get drudged by like 40 but boy like you hit this perfectly in your your trend there with Belichick and it's that in general we talk about home teams having an advantage on the short week Thursday night games and you just toss that part right out like we know both teams had to travel to Atlanta to play this game they just did it at different times with the Falcons coming off the road game in New England playing at home last week and my sense is that short weeks favor the better coach, more prepared team. And it's hard to be better prepared than Bill Belichick. And again, your trend kind of depicts that perfectly. And then you just look at the difference in play styles where the Falcons are really this dainty, small team. And the Patriots are like Clubber Lang. They just want to pound you and mull you. Harris returned to practice on Tuesday. Stevenson, we know, is this 230-pound hammer at running back. And if you look during this four-game win streak, the Patriots are second in EPA per rush. Atlanta's 27th in run-stop win rate. And, you know, you, you kind of just map this thing out here. And you look at some of the things New England's doing during this four-game stretch and the variations of heavy personnel they're using. They're using heavy personnel, whether it's you know 12 or 13 or uh, other formations, 45% of snaps. And you know the fullback is, is coming back out for, for their offense. And it's just tough not to think based on size and physicality and scheme that New England isn't going to have success running it here. And then on the flip side, if Corderell Patterson can't go with his ankle injury, you start to wonder how Atlanta functions offensively because Corderell Patterson's just been an absolute monster. Like We know his versatility, but offenses haven't really been able to utilize him, I don't think. right? It's, it's why he's kind of bounced around a little bit. Is he a kick returner? Is he a punt returner? Is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? And, you know, obviously Atlanta's in dire need for playmakers so they use him as everything but basically he's accumulated 21 percent of atlanta's receiving yards this year and with him out potentially let's monitor that it becomes an offense with one weapon in a rookie in kyle pitts belichick's going to scheme him out of the game right like belichick's good enough to remove your best weapon and make you play left-handed whether it's putting jc jackson on him or if he chooses to use a bracket coverage we also know that there's an edge up front 
for the Patriots, right? They like to stunt and game their linemen. Falcons are 26th in pass block win rate. So the number says there's value on the Falcons. Matchup is just downright dreadful. Yeah, not only does New England do an outstanding job of trying to neutralize what you do best and forcing you to play left-handed, the Patriots have been excellent this season and throughout Bill Belichick's time, they're defending tight ends. They've allowed the fewest receptions to tight ends this season of only 29 and the third fewest receiving yards, 295. Now you throw in, like you said, a rookie in Kyle Pitts as the primary weapon for the offense. Not quite sure that bodes exceptionally well for Atlanta, given what we haven't seen from the ground game for players not named Corderell Patterson. So interesting to see where this number goes, at least as we look at this Thursday morning pain. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd be stunned if Patterson's out there coming in off the high ankle sprain on a short week. Yeah, it will be difficult. I know he was a limited participant in practice yesterday, but you always have to kind of read those tea leaves and try to understand what limited actually was was he just out there in shorts walking around or was he actually doing some work so it'll be interesting to see I, I think we inevitably get to seven here and we'll see if that is enough to encourage a buy from professional betters almost feels like it's taking on a similar tenor to the Thursday night football game we saw last week albeit the Dolphins had a few more matchup advantages they were capable of exploiting before they won the game outright against the Baltimore Ravens on to Sunday and Western New York a rematch of a playoff game we saw a season ago this time it's Buffalo a seven point favorite as they'll welcome in the Indianapolis Colts total on the game at FanDuel Sportsbook sits at 50 and a half uh, the Colts well they remain winless against teams with a winning record so far this season they have the the second worst strength of victory in the entire National Football League. Why is that important, you ask? Because the Bills check in right behind them at third. The Bills have played the easiest schedule to date based on opponents' winning percentage. The combined records of teams the Colts and Bills have beaten, a collective 27-66. and 66. Why do I offer all of that up? Because despite Buffalo having their breakout performance offensively last week against the Jets, I think we all like to see a little bit more consistency. And maybe we start with that side of the ball pain because Josh Allen, even amid some struggles this season, has remained towards the top of the odds to win offensive MVP at FanDuel Sportsbook. When you watch the Bills offensively this season, what are some of the differences you're picking up and are they able to get things headed in the right direction against the Colts defense that for me leaves an awful lot to be desired, especially on the back end? Yeah, this is one of those games where, you know, we're, we're at week 11. And we're just kind of wondering what both teams are still. And as we record this Thursday morning, the weather has picked up a little bit here in Buffalo, right? We're, we're trending towards it being like 70% chance of rain into the 40s, you know, 15, 18 mile per hour winds with some higher gusts. In your mind, you would say, like, this should be a pass-heavy attack for Buffalo, right? Even though their pass rates are down basically 10% year-over-year on early downs and the efficiency has decreased with that as well. When you look at how the Colts' defense is built, it's basically a very good run-stopping defense, although there can be some, some holes in it if you run at them certain ways. And then they play soft coverage behind it, right? They're, they're really a pass-funnel defense. Indy's second best in, in rush efficiency, but they're bottom third of the league in pass efficiency. You have both starting safeties in Justin Blackman and Kahari Willis, both on IR. And I went into this thinking like, hey, Dayball's really going to open things up this week because it's an extremely meaningful game against one of their better opponents that they faced. And then all of a sudden you see the weather. So 
that's going to throw a potential wrench into like what we can diagnose here. Obviously a massive game for Buffalo. And, you know, I hate to overvalue a singular data point, but I think we're going to find out pretty quickly if the Bills offense has, has truly regressed. And this kind of goes back to your question here. If they've regressed, and, and we see that metrically, right? Like they have. Or if they've been playing possum and working on things for the future. There's a few guys that I speak with every week who dig into film like nobody I've seen, right? And they tell me, listen, Buffalo's been up so much in these games, they've shut it down. They're not putting everything on film. They're working on their deficiencies. They're testing new things out. They want to be prepared so they can morph if weather forces them to or the opponent forces them to, right? They want to be comfortable in situations where they're not just in three and four wide chucking it all over the park, right? But when they step up in class, they can flip a switch. And so they reference the Chiefs game. That's what I'm being told. Let's see, right? It's kind of tough for me to buy that because Buffalo has won absolutely nothing and it's Super Bowl or bust and the idea that you're not capitalizing on the easiest schedule to date in the NFL and you're not ensuring a first-round buy is a tough sell for me. But but we'll see. Now, as you kind of alluded to at the top there, Buffalo has played the easiest schedule of defenses. And so, you know, I did want to dig into how they've performed in the first halves of games to negate the idea of, working on things in garbage time or when games are settled first half early downs bills are 17th in epa per drop back 22nd in overall success rate if you expand it out a little bit and only look at non-garbage time snaps buffalo's 24th in success rate so this is really a spot where dayball needs to open the offense back up some the positive for buffalo is the colts defense does not blitz so josh allen should have time that should negate John Feliciano still being out and that's probably not a household name but John Feliciano is the guy along the Bills offensive line that handles protections and calls out blitzes and really gets this offensive line settled the Colts only blitz 17 percent of the time fourth lowest rate in the league so that might not be an issue that the Bills offense has suffered through the last few weeks other thing to keep an eye on and although it's it's Wednesday it's which is very much a rest day but a lot of the guys that missed for the Colts are very impactful so at minimum we got to just keep our eyes peeled to the Darius Leonard Xavier Rhodes and DeForest Buckner all missing practice on Wednesday they're so vital obviously so just keep those situations uh in mind I know Leonard's been playing through an injury he has all season an injury that probably should have shut him down Buckner had his back lock up on him last Thursday he was a true game time decision last week so I I think those guys probably play but just something to keep an eye on here but to your point, it's we're going to find out what Buffalo's offense truly is. I want to see them open things back up. Hopefully the weather allows it. But there is this idea that if you watch the film, you know, there's games where they're going out there and saying, hey, like, let's test our tempo out here. Like, hey, let's be a run first team here. They're certainly doing some things that aren't completely optimal to what they would run in games where it's elimination, right? Like you go in stretches where you see like, hey, Josh Allen's going to be a real component of our ground game this week and, and those are like the more important games and then when you know you play other teams like eh, we're not going to really risk our quarterback here so there's 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 I think two variations of Buffalo let's see which one we get this week 
Well, they definitely tested out their play-action game last weekend against the Jets with a ton of success. This is Josh Allen at 14-17 in that department with more than 300 yards, so we'll see if that's an element that they use going forward. We know, as you've talked about at great lengths, that even if you can't run the ball effectively, it doesn't mean play-action can't work. And against this Colts defense, we'll see exactly how they choose to attack. Now, one thing we've seen from the Bills so far this season, Payne, is a dominant defense. But when you play a weak schedule of opposing defenses, they haven't exactly taken on a murderer's row of opposing offenses either. But I can't ignore the fact that they've let the league in nearly every major category from points per game allowed, third down conversions, pacing the league in interceptions, takeaways. And you saw all that on full display last week with Tredavious White, Johnson, Poyer, and Hyde all having a huge, huge day in the takeaway department they've held Ryan Tannehill and Patrick Mahomes largely in check that tandem combined under 500 yards in their two biggest games to date and in comes a Colts offense that's been relatively conservative uh, by all sense of that word Jonathan Taylor their bell cow but Carson Wentz hasn't been asked to do a whole heck of a lot and knowing this is a game where hey look Michael Pittman is probably going to be neutralized by Tredavious White is there enough in the Colts passing game if Jonathan Taylor can't get on track to allow need to compete it's a good question um and and you are spot on buffalo has played the easiest schedule in the league colts have played a pretty soft schedule as well and if you kind of just compare the two buffalo's defense played the easiest schedule of offenses colts offenses played a bottom five schedule of of defenses i think if i were having this conversation with someone yesterday about what these two units truly are. And I think if you jabbed me with some truth serum and asked what I thought about them, I'd say, despite Buffalo ranking first in many defensive metrics, I think they're probably more like a fringe top five defense. If you ask me what the Colts are offensively, I'd say now that Carson Wentz is healthy and more acclimated to the system, they can probably be a team that floats in that 11 to 13 range of efficiency. My gut just says that Frank Reich still doesn't trust Wentz fully and he doesn't trust him at the rate he trusted Philip Rivers last season right like we're still seeing the left-handed throw under pressure last week despite that being the cause of the interception for touchdown against the Titans we're still seeing the where I evade trouble and run left and throw a 10-yard pass underhanded and I think that freaks Frank Reich out a little bit but when I kind of dig into some of the metrics they are throwing on early downs at an above average league rate so they at least trust Carson Wentz enough to do that now just based on how Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott run their defense structurally it's basically like the old Tampa too right they're going to allow you to run the ball stylistically and the Colts are going to say bet like sure and you know we'll take that look and our offensive line and Jonathan Taylor are going to be uber efficient doing it but you need to be perfect with that style, right? There can't be any mistakes. You, you got to get sevens, right? You can't drive seven minutes and, and drive in a field goal or drive six minutes and get inside the green zone. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're backed up with a holding penalty. And because of the, the weather, you can't attempt the 48-yard field goal or whatever it is, right? You have to be really perfect if you're going to play that style. The problem I see is that at some point... We know the Colts like to throw with play action off that ground attack. Wentz throws with play action at a 31% clip. Indy likes to take deep shots and test you multiple times a game. They think their receivers are good enough and and their scheme is good enough that if their receivers are not coming down with the ball, there's going to be P.I. 
The problem is the Bills defense isn't overly sensitive to play action because of how they play with their secondary, right? And they don't give up explosive passes. They're second in explosive pass defense with that two safety deep look, you know? And you also have a situation, as you alluded to, where Tredavious White is likely going to travel with Michael Pittman. White plays on the perimeter on almost 80% of snaps. T.Y. Hilton at this stage in his career hasn't shown to be good enough for White not to travel with Pittman. So let's see how that shakes out. White has really been, you know, a a shutdown corner. They paid him big bucks. He has continued to deliver. 51% reception rate when targeted, a 58 passer rating allowed when targeted as well. And so because of that, I would assume something similar to last year's wildcard game where Frank Wright gets his tight ends and running backs involved. And in that game, we saw the trio of Doyle, Moali, Cox, and Trey Burton catch 14 of their 16 targets. So I would expect when Indy throws a little bit here, if Tredavious White is removing Pittman, that we're going to get the tight ends involved Naheem Hines has returned. He looks fresh. We'll get him involved out of the backfield. We'll still get Jonathan Taylor catching some screens because we're able to disguise that with him on the field. We can't just throw Naheem Hines out there in known passing situations, right? Like we want this to be a run pass threat and we can hit screens with Jonathan Taylor, even though he's not the best pass catcher because everyone's thinking run. That's what I would assume here, right? It's, It's difficult to play action a defense that plays soft and a defense that's first step forward isn't isn't downhill and bite so that's probably going to be removed from the Colts pass game a little bit to the point where hey we're going to have to dink and dunk our way down the field when we do elect to pass but this is going to be a heavy ground attack I'd think last thing on this game as far as the number we saw this price open as low as six and a half you initially saw money actually come in on the dog at plus seven uh, but the number at least at this point appears to be trending more in that seven and a half range anything uh eye-opening there in that regard how odds makers have decided to price up this particular game I think we can ask John about it later when we get him on the show too open six and a half we are out to seven and a half at seven and a half I'm not really sure the market loved that number both these teams are very difficult to assess because I would say right now they're both a little overvalued in the market and so sometimes you're not catching value and that's the case If Buffalo is truly playing some possum and haven't performed optimally out of the thought process of being better in the future when they're tasked with having to run the ball based on weather or opponent and they say, hey, we're just going to open this puppy up, then we could have the version of Buffalo that is being priced like the best team in the league which is what this line would indicate so if you don't believe buffalo's the best team in the league and you don't think the colts are actually a 500 team and you think that hey they're more to the level of how they've played recently now that carson wentz is acclimated to the system then you're probably going to be looking at the colts here my number certainly doesn't get me to, to seven and a half 
makes a ton of sense. It's a game that'll go a long way, even at this juncture in the season, in terms of defining who these teams want to be going forward. If Buffalo can assert their dominance and try and get to that top seed in the AFC, which appears to be a daunting task now, or Indianapolis can keep their playoff aspirations alive as the schedule will get a little bit more difficult. From the AFC to the NFC, and the NFC North to be exact, we'll head to the Twin Cities, where Minnesota welcomes in a division rival in the Green Bay Packers. It's Green Bay, one and a half point road favorite at FanDuel Sportsbook. Total in the game, 48 and a half pain. When you look at the Green Bay Packers, they're 16 and 6 on the road under Matt LaFleur, the fifth best winning percentage on the road in the National Football League during that time period. Meanwhile, Vikings fans, well, they've had to keep the oxygen close by because eight of nine Vikings games this year have been decided by seven points or less. Seven of those games have had the winner determined on the final play of the game with a few overtimes sprinkled in there as well. When you look at Minnesota, the only team in the league to have held a lead at least uh, seven points or more in every game so far this season. Meanwhile, Green Bay. We know this talk about Aaron Rodgers and obviously what he's meant to this team. They've become the point spread darlings, having covered nine straight games since their opening defeat against the New Orleans Saints. They're looking to become the first team to cover 10 straight in one season since the then San Diego Chargers accomplished that feat back in 1992. One thing we've seen from the Packers so far this season, though, Payne, everyone wants to talk about a high-flying offense. It's been anything but the case. We've seen them regress in a lot of key areas. 19th in points per game compared to first last year, 20th in yards per game compared to fifth a season ago, and 25th in red zone touchdown percentage, an area where they thrived a season ago, finishing best in the league. In steps in Minnesota defense that, while it's dealt with some injuries, should be a little bit healthier this week and provide a formidable challenge to Green Bay and an offense without Aaron Jones. Yeah, I mean, we still have to give credit to Zimmer on this side of the ball, right? I mean, he's kind of figured out a way defensively despite getting hit by the injury bug once again. I mean, Daniil Hunter out for the year, Michael Pearson IR, Anthony Barr missed last week, Harrison Smith's been out two games with the big C, and then Patrick Peterson's been on IR. Now, the positive is is there's going to be some reinforcements this week. It looks like Harrison Smith and Patrick Peterson are both back. Anthony Barr got in the limited on Wednesday. Let's see what that looks like for him today. But getting three starters back defensively is huge for this matchup. There's there's a couple factors, right, I think that are just extremely key here is number one, can can Minnesota get their usual amount of pressure, right? Seems obvious. Pressure helps. Vikings are top five in pressure rate. Obviously, that sample includes Daniil Hunter in a lot of those games. It's a little bit different now without him, but Everson Griffin's returned and he's been fantastic. Aaron Rodgers has really struggled under pressure this season. 48% adjusted accuracy, 5.5% turnover-worthy throw rate, 39 passer rating. So you have to make Aaron Rodgers a little bit uncomfortable. The second thing here is the Vikings are going to have to figure out a way to stop the run. You know, they brought in Michael Pierce from Baltimore two off seasons ago, opted out last year, injured a bunch this year. I mean... I thought that was going to be one of the best signings in terms of its value based upon what the Vikings desperately needed, and he's been an absolute zero for them. But we've seen the Packers dedicate themselves to the ground game. And what's always so interesting, Todd, is you know it's the Chiefs' offense that's been discussed as being really down this year, but no one's mentioned Green Bay, and no one's really mentioned Buffalo all that much. But it's really interesting to kind of see this unfold because they've struggled a little bit out of the gates and this is typically a team that's been great on their script you know specifically last year but it's been slow starting for the Packers um 
I think we just, you know, there's this perception of like, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams, and it's like this high-flying passing attack. It's really not, right? Like, if, if you look at even last year when they were successful and compare it to this year, like, it's really back-to-back seasons where Green Bay's living in, you know, 46 to 47% run on first and second down the first three quarters. Like, they want to run the ball. Like, that just who they are now obviously Aaron Jones is out AJ Dillon's going to assume the majority of the carries he's a Brahma bull and kind of getting to where the Vikings are vulnerable it's like they are dead last in the NFL and run stop win rate 28th in defensive rush efficiency 31st in EPA per rush allowed so Minnesota has not been able to stop the run obviously Michael Pierce again is not there and, you know, he's, he's needed, right? He's like one of the league's best run stuffers at the point of attack. This matchup can't be a landslide in Green Bay's favor if the Vikings are going to stay within this number. Like, they, they have to just, like, you know, it's fine if you're not the best run defense overnight, but it's like we just can't get pummeled here, and I think that'll be the key. Yeah, what's so when inter- I look at this matchup? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say what's so interesting about Green Bay. You do wonder on some level if AJ Dillon is ready to assume the reins as a primary featured back because he's done so much of his damage in terms of picking up yards after contact. Minnesota, despite all their run deficiencies, has actually been very good by NFL standards in that department, and he doesn't have that burst. At least I haven't seen it in terms of going from zero to sixty uh, on runs. Like you said, he's that bull in the china shop that has to get running downhill. So it's always fascinating when you try and figure out exactly what type of running backs cause more problems for a particular defense both scheme and style yeah oh there's no doubt about it right like you're having that lightning and thunder running back room where you know Aaron Jones can soften a defense up a little bit and then in comes A.J. Dillon but they've been using him you know in the early parts of games I know he's worked on his body he's lost some weight but you're right like there isn't that that burst that you have from Aaron Jones, right? He's not as versatile in the pass game, although he can catch some balls. It's it's certainly a, a large loss, but at the same time, the Packers receiver group is, you know, getting much healthier. So we'll see what comes of it. But it, as long as Green Bay just doesn't completely dominate in that facet of the game, I think the Vikings are going to show pretty well here defensively. When you look at the way Minnesota has done things offensively, we know the Packers defense has been a real talking point, a group that I didn't expect much of coming into the season, especially when you lose the likes of Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander, but they continue to exceed expectations week in, week out. Eric Stokes appears to be a full go. Rashawn Gary, Kevin King limited. But as far as defensive line designations, it appears that Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry will be significantly healthier this week. Green Bay is now strung together six consecutive scoreless quarters, the longest streak in the league since 2019. They've held four of their last five opponents to 14 points or less. They did allow 21 to Arizona on Thursday Night Football, but were able to hang on for the win. I mean, is this team able to consistently get off the field and defend the run? I mean, if you're Minnesota, you have to establish Dalvin Cook. And while it wasn't necessarily the big plays that did the Chargers in, he still was able to accumulate more than 90 yards. And you'd have to think a similar game plan here could pay dividends, opening things up for Kirk Cousins to have man coverage on the outside to get Thielen and Jefferson involved, much like they did last Sunday. You know, on Monday, we praise the Packers defense in our good bad and ugly segment and there's no doubt like the last three games have been awesome for the Packers and you know I've kind of 
flip-flop my thought process on the Packers defense in that at the beginning of the season when we did our like full breakdowns I liked what I was hearing from Joe Barry's defense in terms of hey we're going to be a little bit more sophisticated here with our coverages and as we talk about this game it is getting buried under um agree with that move obviously <laughs> as, as you're hearing us discuss it um so man that's throwing me off kilter here uh do you want me to filibuster so you can that was it? that was one we were waiting on to hit and it, of course it comes in at 11 so i know who this is because they like to do that while we record um okay so fuck me uh yes this is the man the cat and mouse okay boy that's got me all disheveled you have a poker face normally this might be in the 397 episodes we've done the first time i've seen you rattled at the poker table yes Yes, this is one where you got to like remove yourself from the poker table. You just take the three deep breaths, go take a leak, and then come back, and you're like, oh, nothing happened here. Everything is A-OK. So, <laughs> you know, like listening to Aaron Rodgers in the offseason be like, hey, like, you know, we've gone against a defense here that we've been able to shred in practice, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're giving us some fits here like they're – showing us one look pre-snap and giving us a different look post-snap. Like, I was hopeful that the Packers' defense would improve. And again, based on their offensive success, like, you didn't need a great defense. You just needed one to be, like, average. And so I thought the Packers could get back to being that. And then all of a sudden, you see them start the season, and you're like, holy shit, these guys are abysmal. And all of the guys in the offseason that I did trust that had a differing viewpoint on Joe Barry were right. And now they've gotten hit with injuries and and this just isn't going to work. And then all of a sudden it's like, what happened here? And it just, it didn't make any sense that they were getting better without some of their best players as the schedule got a little bit tougher. And so, you know, you have games where you shut down Kyler in Arizona and then you go into Arrowhead and, you know, your defense performs awesome against Mahomes. And then, you know, last week against Russell Wilson. But I really think it's always important to you know, mention schedule and put things in context. And obviously it's a short week at Arizona and Kyler's a little bit banged up and Hopkins is banged up for sure. And, you know, you look at Mahomes in that offense and it's probably the worst it was when they played him. It was the worst it had been in that Reed Mahomes era. And then you get a Russell Wilson who is returning after four weeks and his doctor claims it's an eight week injury. And it's in cold weather and the offense was struggling prior to him leaving. So, you know, I'm not really sure what to make of it, right? Like great offenses in kind of perceptually, but in that moment, they weren't their peak self. That's for sure. And so, you know, when you look at this matchup and, you know, you see all the familiarity here, I think you're spot on, right? Like Delvin Cook needs to be a monster. The Vikings run game has to be a massive factor. It's it's pretty plain and simple. The only way Minnesota gets back to 500 here and prevents the Packers from winning the division before we're all like sitting here carving our turkeys, like they have to be able to run the football and, and by design, right? And, and by talent, Green Bay isn't great stopping the run. They are a run funnel team and the Vikings 
being maybe too run heavy actually isn't a hindrance here. Green Bay, 24th in defensive rush efficiency, 23rd in run stop win rate, 27th in EPA per rush allowed. So Minnesota should be able to move the ball on the ground here. I think the fear is if they aren't as efficient running it as need be, then what? Right? Because lots of what Minnesota does in the past game is with disguises and boots and rollouts and play actions. And it just sometimes isn't effective when you face a defense that plays a soft shell with five defensive backs, right? Like everyone likes to talk play action now, but like when you get a defense that's sitting in a shell that plays zone, the first instinct is to not get beat deep. It's not, I'm going to bite and play downhill where you're suddenly like impacted as much by the play action. So that'll be the one thing to, to really monitor here. If Minnesota isn't able to run it, then what, right? Like, I would think the adjustment's pretty simple, right? And it's it's go out there and line Kirk Cousins up in shotgun when he wants to throw it, you know? I Just looking at this matchup, right? Like, if you go back to the Sunday night game against Dallas, Minnesota goes out in the opening drive. Obviously, it's part of the script. But they, they get seven. And then Dan Quinn switched from man to zone. So, and they struggled. So the point here is, like, if, if Minnesota isn't able to run the ball, the Sharp guys here back in the Vikings may get a little mud on their face. And I don't really trust Clint Kubiak to be smart here, right? Like, we can't really figure out how he got employed. Obviously, it's on his dad's merits, but he has been pretty horrific. So it would be much smarter in my mind to have Cousins sitting in shotgun, finding holes in the soft zone, and hitting his you know, receivers for five, six, seven yards when you do elect to pass as they play that, you know, shell defense rather than using play action where his back's turned while the holes in the zone shrink, right? And the defenses are ignoring play action and and they're not biting on it. So I just, in general, like that style of passing hasn't been effective against this style of, of pass defense. So we'll see what comes of it. Obviously, right, Justin Jefferson's a cheat code. And Adam Thielen's, while he's lost his step, is still an elite route runner, and he still understands leverage, and he gets open pretty easily. But uh, everything I am hearing, and we've seen this morning, Todd, some money on the Vikings, but everything I am hearing is that Minnesota has a real chance here to uh, to close a favorite. Hey, the Vikings have been a team that looks a lot better when you dig into some of their metrics than what their four and five record suggests. Maybe last week was the breakthrough performance they needed where they gave up a touchdown out of the break to the Chargers, but stayed aggressive. They kept their foot down and were able to keep the ball away from Justin Herbert and company late in the game. And I think Adam Thielen's quotes in the wake of that big win on the West Coast were evident of that, talking about how the team has to be more aggressive in this day and age. You can't take a conservative approach, uh, very similar to what we saw against the Baltimore Ravens two weeks prior when they built a two-touchdown lead and were not able to make that stand up on the road, a game that they probably should have won. That's why you're seeing this movement, Todd, right? Is because, you know, you look at the record, and this is why it's so fun, right? You're, like, out with your friends and they're, like, talking about games and, like, uh, Green Bay's 8-2. and It's like, I don't even know their actual record. I just know what (laughs) their their actual record in my mind is when you look at Pythag and and win rates and things like that. Like, Green Bay, despite being 8-2, and winning again a lot of close games which they have done over the years but again more like a six and a half win football team right now and Minnesota on the other hand is more like a five and a half win football team and they've played one less game so when you put it in that context Minnesota regardless of what we think home field advantages and we know it's dwindling still has one of the largest home field advantages 
and all of the NFL. And so when you put it in that context on like Pythag and actual win rate, like we're looking at two identical teams and a team with the largest home field advantage in the NFL, like catching points at home. And that's kind of the the thought process that professional betters have here. And no doubt about it. And uh, it's not quite an apples to apples comparison, but you do wonder Minnesota season hanging in the balance on Sunday if you get a similar effort to what we saw from the 49ers under the bright lights on Monday Night Football. But like you said, a much more defined home field advantage that the Vikings have thrived in, unlike San Francisco, who hadn't been able to win in their own building until that blowout performance against the Rams. All the games that we've talked about so far, Payne, probably pale in comparison, more as appetizers leading up to the main course Sunday afternoon, where it's the Dallas Cowboys and their gaudy record going on the road to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. When you look at these two teams, clearly a lot expected of both of them in their respective conferences. When you Kansas City, they failed to score more than 20 points in each of their last three home games. I'm not sure how relevant that is in the wake of their breakout performance on Sunday Night Football against the Las Vegas Raiders. But interestingly enough, if you want to look for parallels or try and create comparisons, the Chiefs were 6-4, and four, headed into Week 11 back in 2019. We know how that season ended. They won nine straight and went on to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. First actual career meeting between Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes. When you look at the Cowboys, they've been great away from Jerry's World. 4-0 against the spread, and they've done it against a very difficult schedule of opposing defenses. Uh, covering against Tampa, the Chargers, the Patriots, and the Vikings. Dak, tremendous during his career as an underdog, 15-8-1 against the spread. And we know the narrative we're going to hear leading up to kickoff, that Kansas City has been overvalued in their own building as they've now failed to cover nine straight regular season home games. When you try and figure out this particular game, I don't want to oversimplify the handicap by any stretch of the imagination, but is it simply strength on weakness with the Cowboys offense against the Chiefs defense? And the exact same we're going to see on the other side of the ball, knowing that Kansas City should be able to get matchup advantages against the Dallas defense that, while improved, still leaves a lot to be desired. You know, what's interesting to me when we break down Chiefs games for what feels like the 17th time this season, despite it only being week 11, uh, is we've been way ahead of the market on Casey's defensive improvements, right? Like, if you kind of look around right the sentiment is still the Chiefs defense stinks there's very little understanding that Frank Clark is back and healthy that Chris Jones is back and healthy and now playing inside because you beefed up the D-line with Melvin Ingram that Juan Thornhill a plus safety is now starting for Daniel Sorensen one of the league's worst defensive players and that Ward is back from injury and Gay is back from injury and so the narrative you still hear is the Chiefs defense stinks but then they don't really mention as to why they started off so bad, which was mostly schedule-related against premium offenses while they were injured. But since week six, Kansas City's sixth in EPA per rush allowed, 13th in passing success rate. It is my belief that the Chiefs defense is average to slightly below average, right? It's not the worst defense in the NFL, which is kind of the narrative out there. So I I, I say all that to say this. Regardless of what happens against an elite Dallas offense that has played a very difficult schedule of defenses, as you mentioned, the Chiefs can still be improved defensively while getting beat up in this matchup, right? (laughs) Despite the improvement, this might be a matchup in a weight class that far exceeds the Chiefs' defensive capabilities. And that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here. Like, Dallas has the ability to be different, right? Like, they are able to just be two completely opposite offenses and that's why I think they're less susceptible to struggling right like 
through 17 games, you're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have peaks and valleys. No doubt the Denver game's a stinker. But if Dak is off, you can rely on your O-line and Zeke and Pollard in the run game. O-line isn't getting the push up front. Okay, like we'll just set up and shotgun and have Dak go ham with our trio of receivers that'll have all these different skill sets like Gallup is back. He's our deep guy. Amari Cooper, one of the best route runners in the league. C.D. Lamb by size and mannerisms look like Jerry Rice light. So Dallas not only has the ability to morph week to week, but possession to possession within the same game. And that is really tough to game plan for and stop. Tyron Smith is a big question mark at left tackle. If he's out, then the Chiefs might have a better chance here to at least be somewhat a resistance point, right? Like last week, we said to ourselves, hey, if if we think the Chiefs defense is truly improved, the number's got to be 24 or less. And obviously, right, there was a situation where Jackson fumbles the ball that could have been points. There was a, a penalty in plus territory when the Raiders were going for it on fourth and short that then had them punt the ball. So, you know, I still think it was a very good defensive performance, but probably not as good as the scoreboard indicated. This is a really tough week. I think if you can hold Dallas to somehow 27 or 28, that that's a good defensive performance for an average defense. But there's not a ton of great matchups here, right? <laughs> and there's there's a lot of advantages for Dallas's offense. And because they can be so multiple, you know, you can't really cheat right you you can't come in with a game plan that says we're going to specifically stop x right because the cowboys will just go to y and that that's what becomes difficult and that's what separates average to below average defenses versus elite defenses and the chiefs are not that despite the improvement so dallas is going to hang some points here Will the Chiefs be able to exploit a similar matchup advantage against a Cowboys defense that's garnering headlines because of Trevon Diggs's flash and dash plays, the outstanding performances we've seen from Micah Parsons, Parsons in a pass defense that, to their credit, has actually performed pretty well, allowing just a 82 opposing quarterback rating and a completion percentage that's also top 10 in the National Football League. So <laughs> it's always interesting, right? Like, it comes down to matchups, right? We, we all have our prices. We all have our numbers. But football is a lot of matchup sports are matchup-based. And I think this ultimately comes down to what Dan Quinn elects to do defensively. Is he going to go with his cover one man and cover three? Or is he going to follow the br- blueprint that we have seen defenses have success with with the two-high shell? They haven't played that at all this year, have they? They have not. Gus Bradley... <laughs> which was last week's defensive coordinator the Chiefs went up against, and Dan Quinn are from the same school. Both were in Seattle for two years together. Gus Bradley went man last week. The Chiefs offense got back to being this nuclear explosive attack. Now, I know we all assume Dan Quinn can't adapt and change, and and maybe he won't. But again, if you go back to that Sunday night game against Minnesota, the Cowboys did come out in man. Cousins in the Vikings offense marched down the field on the opening drive, and then Quinn made an adjustment and sprinkled in some zone. It's not necessarily going to completely work here. And what I am seeing here is matchup problems all over the field, right? Like Dallas doesn't really have the safeties to play too high shell. And where the Chiefs offensive line has been most susceptible is their tackles. Teams have been getting pressure from the edge. Natural pressure is what you need against the Chiefs, not manufactured pressure, right? You can't blitz Mahomes. Well, the interior of the Chiefs' O line has been Fort Knox. It's the, the the tackles, right? And and Dallas is without Demarcus Lawrence, 
Randy Gregory was put on IR last week. So who's getting natural pressure from the edge here? The answer is And then is no we've one. talked about, yeah, and we talked last week about, you know, why some of the Chiefs' offensive struggles were happening. And it's like, if you're going to play too high shell, you need Kelsey to be an absolute animal. Kelsey got back to being an absolute animal last week. I think he heard this podcast and he said, 32, <laughs> I'm a young man still. And so you ask yourself, which linebacker safety and coverage is going to give Travis Kelsey trouble here? Every single linebacker safety the Cowboys has have graded out negatively in coverage. And then you're looking at Diggs. Is he really going to be a guy that has success being a cheat corner against Tyreek Hill? Sure, he may win a battle, right, and and pick Mahomes off as he cheats on a pass or two because Mahomes still had some turnover-worthy throws last week, none of which were picked off. And then there was a fumble from I believe Tyreek Hill that was he recovered so there were some still some turnover worthy plays from that offense they just had some good fortunes as well but if Diggs is going to play that style Tyreek Hill is probably going to burn him once or twice and so you're starting to just look for some of these matchups and and I don't see them whether it's stylistically or whether it's the parts of the defense matching up the Chiefs are going to have success here and it's one of those games where I know we talked off air with John and We'll get to his interview shortly, but I don't believe we mentioned it on air. Is that like our number on this game makes it 53.8? You could not pay me to go (laughs) under 56. And so that's kind of where I'm at on this game. One of those games where all it takes is one team to go three and out, another team to build a 14 point lead. And suddenly, if you get either the Chiefs or Cowboys in catch up mode, it becomes the first team to 35 to get out of Dodge with a victory. Uh, and a cover in this particular instance. Yeah, I could see that. Now, if you're using priors, you know, this line is more like Chiefs minus three. If you're not using any priors, this number is more like Dallas minus one and a half. And so ultimately it comes down to what kind of handicapper are you? I think there's matchups that benefit both teams. And so I'm not necessarily sure where this line's going to go. I think this could be a, a decent little line here. Yeah, I, I think it's a game that as a bookmaker you love. Obviously, you have the star power, you have the cachet, and you have no appetite or desire to push it to a key number because I have to imagine as soon as it would touch three, that price wouldn't last. So keep it in no man's land. Let the betting public and professionals match wits and collect your 10%. Enjoy the football game and move on to the following week. Or in this case, Sunday Night Football, that's a game mired in questions more than anything else. I do want to remind all of you to follow Payne on Twitter, at Payne Insider. Uh, I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. And most importantly, follow the podcast, at Bet the Board Pod. And Sunday Night Football, out on the West Coast yet again. This time, it is the Chargers welcoming in the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it's the Chargers, a six-and-a-half-point favorite at FanDuel Sportsbook. Total on the game sits at 47. I think the overarching question for for this one is which players will be available, not just for the Steelers, but also the Los Angeles Chargers. When you look at the Chargers since 2019, they have the most losses in one-score games. They added another to that ledger last week. They've also played 30 games decided by one possession, three more than any other team in the league over that span. 
And when you look at the Chargers, pretty impressive. 25-12 and 12 to the under their last 37 games at home. The Steelers, 26-8-1 under the total in their last 35 games on the road. We've talked at great lengths and probably will going forward when you look at the Steelers' schedule, how strong they've been as an underdog. 15-4 and four against the spread catching points since 2018. And under Mike Tomlin, 41-22-3 as a dog. Payne, I'm not even sure as we sit here on Thursday morning how to go about properly assessing the handicap here or doing justice for our listeners. So I don't know if we can spend a ton of time on it amid all the speculation about who will start a quarterback for Pittsburgh, who will or won't be available for both particular rosters. You know, I think what makes games like this fun, especially when we're able to watch them, is some of the things that we identify as sports bettors and for us specifically discuss on this show when they kind of unfold in front of our eyes. And so, you know, when I think about the Chargers offense and the Steelers defense, nobody realized the offensive issues on early downs before us with Joe Lombardi's conservative play calling and play design, right? Everyone was ready to put the Chargers in the Super Bowl and hand Brandon Staley coach of the year. For Pittsburgh, we knew they were cash-strapped, right? And so what ends up happening is you lose Javon Hardgrave and Bud Dupree in back-to-back off-seasons. Solid corner pieces and Nelson and Hilton aren't re-signed. And then you suffer injuries to Tuit and Tyson Alulu and Minka Fitzpatrick's best attribute is versatility, but he doesn't want to be moved around. And Joe Hayden turns 33 in April and his best ball is behind him. So if you're watching closely, the vaunted Pittsburgh defense is living on perception. Early downs are a true indicator of how good defenses are. Now, I know some play with lighter boxes, and sometimes the metrics can get a little bit skewed if they're allowing teams to run into those light boxes. But right now, the Steelers are 24th in defensive pass efficiency on first down and 25th on second down. They've also struggled to stop first down runs, and they are not a defense that plays with light boxes, which means if Joe Lombardi figures out that Drew Brees is not operating this offense— and Justin Herbert can't be a quarterback that has the sixth lowest intended air yards per attempt, the Chargers are going to have a real ability to slice and dice Pittsburgh through the air, as we saw another young quarterback with less weapons and not as much arm talent than Justin Fields do on Monday Night Football. right? If Joe Lombardi is scheming for opponent, which is what good coaches do, then we're going to see the Chargers push the ball downfield. Both TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick are trending poorly to be available for this game. We'll see what happens you know, over the next three days. But if they are out, that's a combination that should allow deeper pass routes to develop with less pressure and more opportunity over the middle and downfield with Minka, you know, not roaming and Watt not causing havoc. And if the Chargers can hit some of those chunk and explosive passes early and build a lead, you then dictate and force Pittsburgh's offense to be one that is Mason Rudolph dominant, right? Having Mason Rudolph play catch up is the way to win and get back on track. The quickest way to getting beat is being conservative uh, on offense and allow this game to operate in a neutral state where Najee Harris is running into Brandon Staley's light boxes in a Chargers defense that's dead last in the NFL in defense <laughs> rush efficiency, right? Like that that's that's how this maps out if you are thinking of game script and game flow. Like the Chargers need to be aggressive and take advantage of the missing pieces on this Steelers defense and build a lead and make an incapable quarterback of becoming pass first. That That's how you win this game. That's how you cover this game. That's how you get back on track if you're the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of staggering last weekend when you look at the Chargers game plan. It was the first time in Justin Herbert's career he did not have a single pass in the game with 20-plus intended air yards. To your point, Joe Lombardi has to realize what he has. You don't have to drive your car 35 miles an hour in a school zone if you have a sports car. Take it out on the highway, let it stretch its legs, and take full advantage. And I think as a result of that, you've obviously seen Keenan Allen's targets tick up as he's had more than 10 in each of the last three games. But as a result, Mike Williams has become a non-factor. Now, four straight games where he hasn't gone over 60 yards receiving, a far cry from the guy that I was having a breakout performance early in the year. And no coincidence, Payne, the Chargers were winning games then. They're now struggling to get in the win column. We'll see if things change on Sunday night as we continue to watch and monitor that injury report, figuring out exactly what players may or may not be available. We do have one game still left to go, given the unorthodox nature of our scheduling this week. That, of course, is Monday Night Football. But before we get there, let's get the odds maker's perspective on how he sees things transpiring during NFL Week 11. He joins us every Thursday here on the Bet the Board podcast. You, of course, can follow John Sheeran on Twitter. That's J Sheeran, S-H-E-E-R-A-N-1981. And John, every week we seem to kick it off asking how the book performed for the weekend. And I'm almost afraid to ask, given the bloodbath we've seen from the general betting public over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, the answer will continue to be the same, Todd, as long as we end up with, um, you know, the dogs winning at the rate they're winning and covering. Um and again, you know, key result for us getting Washington home against Tampa Bay with a 10-point win. You know, even the Steelers uh, struggling to get beyond overtime tie with the Lions uh, and then compounded by Monday Night Football where the Niners did a bit of a job on the Rams. I think they, for us, were the key to uh, what was another really good weekend for the Bucks. Yeah, it's always interesting when you watch some of these results. And you mentioned the Steelers game being won, and I kind of wanted to ask you about that game and Carolina in particular. Obviously, for different reasons, you had starting quarterbacks get officially ruled out on late Saturday night into early Sunday. How challenging is that for you guys to kind of stay ahead of the market, or is it typically a sharp better or two that'll tip their hand and you guys know, okay, they have that information a little bit ahead of us. We're going to stay aggressive in our move towards Carolina or in turn towards the Detroit Lions with Big Ben placed on the COVID reserve list? Yeah, I think people were surprised by how little we moved the line based on uh, Ben's news during the week. I think a lot of people jumped on, you know, eight or seven and a half, expecting it to go to three. And and we really only moved it a point, point and a half uh, from there because we had some of, you know, potential baked in as well. When you think about the Panthers and and the Cardinals, I think the same this week again with... with, um, with uh, Pittsburgh so so I think we're in a situation where we kind of try and get to an assumption ourselves or a probability that we think a certain player is going to be on the field and yeah you're right from then on it's a race to the breaking news and who, who can get there first whether it's us and the traders or whether it's the, the sharp betters who are waiting on the same information uh, as a call to action and, and that's a bit of a race and it'll always be that way I guess um, but it, it breaks quickly and we have the same challenges as the punters as I say every week so you know, it, it is a bit of a race to the news, but, you know, it's not a big issue for us. I can't imagine dealing with the Steelers and some of their ongoing injury and COVID concerns this week is uh, all that exciting as a bookmaker either. When you look at Big Ben, touch and go throughout the course of the week, we know most likely they're going to be without Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt on the other side of the ball. So I guess you kind of have to stay ahead there and try and figure out which chargers may or may not be available on top of that as well. Yeah, like you said, they've got issues on the defensive side as well. So um, that one's been a tricky one. It's obviously a really soft market. I think we're sitting around about five, five and a half right now. And 
you know, I think let's see where it goes. But the obvious way to play this game, I think, is is potentially even looking at the uh, at the under. I think we're shading it slightly ourselves, and um, you know, we'll see what the the kind of news brings during the week around health and and see where it ends up. But um, that looks the way to attack that game, at least from what we've seen so far. All right, Payne. Since I've been the black angel of public betting death here, starting on a sour note i'll let you ask john some of the fun questions in terms of where they stand for the marquee games this weekend and how the early money may be coming through yeah sticking with that steelers chargers game for sunday night football i think it's an interesting debate because everyone's really down generally speaking on big ben what type of adjustment have you guys made internally at FanDuel for that downgrade potentially from big ben to mason rudolph especially after what we saw out of rudolph last week yeah, I think, like I said, just a couple of points based on what we did last week. I don't know that we had the conversation this week around how much we've baked in based on five. Yeah. Um, so it's something I'd have to revisit and come back to you on. But like I said last week, we only moved it a couple of points when, once he was ruled out. Um, and I think that is a reflection, as you say, on where Ben is at right now. Yeah. You know, the offense really just doesn't work. Rudolph isn't the most exciting guy in the world, but I think he's completely serviceable, particularly when you put him... Uh, in the way that the offense has been run lately and, and lean heavily on, on Najee. And I think that's what we saw last week from Pittsburgh, and I wouldn't expect a whole lot different. So not as big as, you know, their once powerful Ben uh, down to Mason Rudolph would be, that's for sure. In another game that's going to get a ton of action and volume is is Dallas and Kansas City. You guys were way ahead of the market last week. You told our loyal listeners, hey, the consensus right now is two and a half. Our in-house traders make this game Chiefs minus three and a half. The Chiefs rolled. What do you see in this week on Cowboys Chiefs in terms of any action coming in public or sharp and kind of where the house sits on what their line is? Yeah, I mean, we made the game three uh, and we made the total, I think, maybe a little under where it is right now at 55. But I think when you start getting up into the mid and high 50s, it's always difficult for our number to get there. Um, it is a game that, you know, I wouldn't have a whole lot of confidence in, in the total. You know, it looks from an X's and O's perspective like a really good game for points, obviously, um, particularly when you see Kansas and, and them kind of returning to kind of previous form offensively last week if you believe that's the case and a Dallas defense that will potentially struggle to to hold them and then the other side we've seen some improvement for Kansas City but I'm still not a believer and I think Dallas will have a lot of success as well so uh, we're pretty much staying on the market this week don't have a strong uh, lean like we did last week on the Chiefs probably just favor them uh, uh, on our numbers but uh, like I said the over is probably one that we're wary of there and I think you know that'll be a key game for us I think a lot of the public will hone in on the over in that game I think we'll see a lot of SGP volume through touchdown scores in that match and uh, that one will play a huge part in profitability for both sides of the counter this week for sure in two other big games that we're seeing green bay and minnesota along with arizona in seattle anything come across your desk there that is of interest we we've seen some movement this morning on the vikings and then i guess maybe how you are anticipating the cardinals offense looking is it going to be one with kyler under center and hopkins out wide or how have you guys handled that so far yeah, I think uh, Minnesota, we, we kind of share the view of the move that we've seen this morning. We we definitely had a favorable lean towards them as well as the under in the game. So wouldn't be surprised to continue to see more money come in on the Vikings. Um, this week, I think the Packers are a little bit flattered. I've, I've watched a lot of their games and they haven't really impressed and yet they've managed to win games. And I guess that's what happens when you have somebody like Aaron Rodgers under center. But, 
you know, for us that that doesn't surprise us. That was our lean last night uh, in the game as well as the under, like I said. And then Arizona, I think, yeah, the under is another one here that we're looking at. Um, we we made this pick him as well. We 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 doubt whether Murray will get back, and obviously with Hopkins as well. Uh, interesting to see what way that news breaks. Our, our total is probably a point, point and a half underneath where the market is right now. So uh, we still see a little value in playing that game that way. And uh, I think we saw it the same last week with, with the Packers in Seattle. And um, yeah, interesting to see how Arizona line up. But again, yeah, particularly in Seattle, this looks uh, like another game where the under is the right way to go. Makes complete sense. Anything else standing out to you on the board, whether it's sharp or potential liability for the house? I think for the first week this season, we haven't seen any real pro money this week at all. Uh, and that kind of scares Everyone's me. loading up the basketball. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. You got <laughs> to save some reserves for basketball, see how that goes. And then you come in later in the week on, on football. It kind of scares me more than it excites me, to be honest, because um, <laughs> no one has shown their hand yet. I, th- I think Washington yeah. was the other one that we were pretty interested in. Uh, we definitely made this a decent amount under the field goal. So at three, three and a half. You know, I think Washington are pretty interesting against Carolina team that just felt like they benefited from everything that went wrong with Arizona last week. And I thought Washington played a really good game, maybe not as uh, much as the final result said, but I thought Rivera coached a great game. And, you know, yes, the Buccaneers are banged up and even more so again after last week. And yes, we lose um, uh, Trey Young. So um, I'm pretty interested in Washington this week. I think that's the other one that we had a strong opinion on. I wasn't going to pummel you with a ton of questions, but now that we brought up Washington and Carolina, what are you guys doing internally on the Cam Newton adjustment from PJ Walker? Well, the first thing we're going to do is change Trey Young from an Atlanta, Atlanta Hawk basketball player into Chase Young. Uh, Listen, Cam- Trey is quick around the edge. I <laughs> he think he's very... got good bend. He can get to the quarterback. The question is, is he uh, he heavy enough to as, bring him down? Uh, he might not be as strong and bounce off from looking for an intentional foul as well. So I can't believe I made that misstep. Um, it's early yeah, like, in the morning. It is. And I forgot your question now as well. Is is, is Cam Newton a, an upgrade for you guys? I know he's only been in the system, you know, less than a week, but we did see him on the sidelines commanding a lot of respect from the players in those huddles. It seemed like he was directing a lot of things last week, kind of got acclimated, nice goal line packages, threw a touchdown, uh, ran for another. What does that adjustment look like internally for you guys from from Cam Newton and PJ Walker? Is there an upgrade there? Yeah, I think it's super interesting because, like you said, the big benefit that I see from Cam is, A, the goal line threat, obviously, that we, we see a big difference in. We saw it in New England last year and, again, already with Carolina. But I think, yeah, being made a captain in New England as quickly as he was really spoke to kind of the sort of an individual that he is in the locker room. And I think that will be the big win for Carolina. I would be very surprised if that wasn't one of the main reasons they brought him back. Um, so I think trying to assimilate exactly what sort of an adjustment Walker to Cam Newton is worth is a dangerous game to play because in certain spots in New England last year, we saw that he really wasn't a plus at all. Uh, and now you're putting him in kind of the same situation. So I would say minimal, if anything, maybe a point just because of the other stuff. But I think on the field uh, performance outside of the goal line threat and the running ability, obviously, that he has... I don't know that he's worth a whole lot in the passing game to the Carolina offense. You know, one other game, John, I feel like we've peppered you with pretty much everything on the board today. We may have to go through and, you know, allocate 30 seconds for all 16 game breakdowns going forward. 
Uh, we covered earlier was the Colts and Bills, a game that we saw some shops open as low as six and a half, number trending towards seven and a half at this point. Clearly, this is a Bills team that people had anointed as the AFC favorite, and we all saw them on Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs. The offense had looked sluggish in subsequent weeks. Maybe had a bit of a breakout performance last week against the Jets, but I still feel that there's something missing there. What's kind of been your guys' assessment on the Colts in the grand scheme of things and how you've handled Buffalo, especially in a game like this? Yeah, um, I think they're obviously a bit of a flat track bully when you get Buffalo in good spots um, against teams that really struggle with the sort of offense they have, then they look excellent and they're really dominant and they don't tend to take their foot off the pedal very easily. Uh, and I just don't feel like the Colts is that matchup this week. I mean, we, we made it under a touchdown. Uh, so I think we see some value there and see some value in the under. I think the Colts are the exact sort of team to kind of live with them. I think they'll be able to get enough production the other side of the ball as well. Uh, obviously leaning heavily on Taylor and, and Wentz has been serviceable. So uh, touchdown and, and above um, really just feels like too much for us. So we will have a decent lean towards Indianapolis in that game. And actually a few of our team are actually going to make the trip and, and join the Bulls Mafia this weekend. So watch out for some FanDuel t-shirts uh, <laughs> jumping through tables, etc. <laughs> Fingers crossed the weather is uh, <laughs> ideal for football viewing in November in Western New York, and there's no lake effect snow in the forecast. John, can't thank you enough for all your time this morning. And uh, because we are the gracious sorts around here, we'll give you next week off for the holiday. So when we reconvene in two weeks, hopefully we have a little bit more clarity in both the AFC and NFC playoff picture. Wanted to wish you, your family, and the rest of the FanDuel team a very happy Thanksgiving try and stuff your faces and watch plenty of football next week and appreciate all your contributions not only this season but what you brought to the table to help make our listeners smarter since the beginning of last year as well appreciate that Todd same to you and the, all the listeners as well and, and when it comes to stuffing our face and watching football I think uh, we're well used to that so we'll, we'll, we'll do well I'm sure Payne I was only half kidding you know during that interview we may have to you know give John I don't know 42 minutes of this podcast we'll give him two minutes on each game to assess side and total and, and see where it takes us I know the listeners definitely appreciate the in- increased content obviously but the difference in perspective from you and I breaking down some of the marquee games I think it's perfect. You just sub me out, put him in next week for college in the NFL, and I'll see everybody on the 29th. I don't get the feeling John is a big college guy, so I'm not quite sure how that's going to go. <laughs> now, I mean, if we ever elect to have a, a fill-in analyst and a fill-in host for the NFL, I think John would definitely be able to thrive uh, in one of those particular roles. I, I agree. Very knowledgeable. So good to get his take on things. Of course, he'll be back with us two weeks from today when we resume the normally regularly scheduled programming. All right, Monday Night Football. I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on this particular game, but it is one of the marquee franchises in the National Football League, at least the defending Super Bowl champs, against one of the largest markets. And you're seeing Tampa, a 10.5-point home favorite, as they'll welcome in the New York Football Giants. Total in the game, 49.5 at FanDuel Sportsbook. And this will mark the Bucks' first home game in all almost a month when you look at Tom Brady he hasn't lost three games in a row since 2002 and that couple of times it's happened that he has lost back-to-back games well Brady has bounced back with a vengeance going 9-0 and straight up off consecutive losses won all nine games by double digits and when you dig into the Bucks' performance last week I mean they 
this, they've kind of been self-destructing. They did, they've committed a league-high 35 defensive penalties this year, 11 of the pass interference variety. We'll see if they can get things on track. But when we talk about the Giants, one thing we've grown accustomed to, you bet against the team when they play at home, you bet on them when they're on the road, is Daniel Jones, 12-5 and against the number on the highway, 11-3 and against the spread as a road underdog in his short career. The New York Giants, at least the way things stand now, should be significantly healthier on offensively than what we've seen over the last couple weeks. Yes, they should be healthier. You get road Daniel Jones, which is a little bit different of a quarterback. But I do think the intriguing matchup here is Tom Brady against Patrick Graham's Giants defense, which is trending in the right direction the last couple weeks, right? And Tom came out of the bye week. Looking like he he spent his off time memorizing all those difficult lines from that new Hertz commercial he's in. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, I have not. I, the one where he's sitting in the chair where they're plugging him in. Is that the Hertz commercial you're mentioning? The new one is he just says, let's go 74 times in different <laughs> settings. That's I don't it. think I've seen that one. I'm not going to have to look for it. <laughs> yes. But, well, obviously Brady was terrible last week, right? Completion percentage, 7% below expectation. Wasn't pushing the ball downfield. You know, some of that can be explained when you're down A.B. and Scotty Miller and Chris Godwin's laboring around with a foot injury. Gronk was also out. But off the bye against that caliber of defense that was dealing with injuries to Sweat and Young, not good. So you'd think a bounce back here. But what's interesting to me is Patrick Graham's Giants defense gave Brady and Tampa some trouble last season, and it was also on a Monday night. It was back in Week 8. They held the Bucks to 5.2 yards per play. Only nine points the first 39 minutes of that game. And Graham's plan was basically to keep everything in front. And it, it worked pretty well until like the final 15 or 20 minutes or so. Giants are coming off their bye. So they're going to have two weeks to prepare, implement a couple new wrinkles and tweaks to, to that defense. If you look at how the Giants are trending defensively the last three games, it looks like they're getting some things figured out. Fourth in EPA per play allowed, third in EPA per pass allowed. And Mahomes and Derek Carr are in that sample. Now, the Giants don't get pressure, okay? 32nd, dead last in the NFL in pass rush win rate, 31st in actual pressure rate. That's mostly because the Giants' ends and linebackers don't really do a good job getting after the quarterback. But when the Giants do get pressure, it's from two guys. It's Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence on the interior. We know that you want to get inside pressure to force Tom off his spot, regather, set the feet again before throwing. Lawrence and Williams have 56 pressures between them. Williams is seventh among qualifying interior linemen and pressures. Lawrence is 14th. So for the Giants to not get embarrassed here in a bounced off, uh, in a bounce back, pissed off spot for Tampa, interior pressure is key. Not letting the explosive beat you. And based on Antonio Brown's cryptic Instagram post Wednesday night, there's a chance he may be out there. And when the Buccaneers do get into the green and red zone, you can only get threes, right? You, you can't give up sevens. And that's where Tampa's been elite. Over 77% of their scoring plays have been touchdowns. The Bucks' offense has been a juggernaut at home, over 40 points on average this season. But that's how you stay within this number is the defense does a lot of the things they did last year couple tweaks to throw in there get some interior pressure with your two horses in the middle and then hope that road daniel jones with a couple of his weapons returning to full health are able to score enough to keep this within the number now what's interesting is you know you've had some some change in the number right like i think last year in new york the line was 12 and a half you know now we're in tampa and it's it's 10 and a half 11 
So it's interesting to see that that change in number, and the Giants are playing a little bit better here over the last couple of weeks. I don't have anything on this game. I, I My number is pretty close to this. The total, we did see some value slightly, but really not enough to get involved, right? Like if, if it opened 51.5 with 51 being so key, Maybe we would have dabbled under because we made it like 48.9. It might have been like a value bet at that point, but we didn't get that, right? We got 50 and 50 and a half. We're now down to 49 and a half. You know, you have a Buccaneers offense that's just been lights out at home and pissed off and potentially getting some some guys back offensively. So um, if this does stay under, though, I think it translates more to, to the Giants in terms of that correlation. Should be an interesting football game. I mean, we've talked at great lengths about how good the Giants have been away from home. Not the spot where you want to go into a hornet's nest, though, most likely, at least on the surface, and try and tangle in beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially when you consider that the Bucs were a 10-point road favorite last week against the Washington football team, now lay 10.5 at home against the Giants. Should be an interesting game. Either way, to cap things off before we head into the holiday week. You can follow Payne on Twitter at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You, of course, can follow me there. Most importantly, follow the podcast at Bet the board pod. We talked about it at the top of the show. We'll remind all of you right here, right now. Only one podcast next week for Thanksgiving week. It'll drop either late Tuesday night or Wednesday. So don't tune in Monday morning. Everything is okay. Nothing happened to Payne and I over the weekend. Uh, so if there won't be a Monday football, a Monday night football podcast since we covered the Bucks and Giants here. Obviously, no Thursday podcast on Thanksgiving and plenty of great promo information and giveaways coming a week from this upcoming Monday for you guys to show us support that you've done over the years and for us to kind of give back to the bet the board community. I give you all that pain to ask. You're white hot right now and there's no pressure whatsoever from our loyal listenership, but in terms of identifying an investment in the National Football League, what's caught your eye this weekend? We, we, we are white hot. No, um, I, no. The, the way things work around here, when we go cold, I shoulder the responsibility. When we get hot, you get all the credit. That's how this dynamic works. I don't get the vibe that's the case. Because when we lose, I lose about 60 followers every time on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I, there's, there's, there's a couple, couple options here that we have been mulling. I think we are going to stay with another first half under. I think that's probably the the right approach here. Uh, let's go with four seven two. The Cardinals and Seahawks first half under twenty four. And so, in terms of line value, if Kyler gets announced in, we're probably not going to beat the market here. But I still like that approach, knowing he's sat out two and a half weeks could be a little bit rusty early if it's not him then it's a very 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 good bet and we're seeing the Seahawks defense trend in the right direction the last few weeks Arizona's defense has been nails aside from last week when PJ Walker went up and down the field so I think we're going to get a little bit more of a a different effort here from the Cardinals defense you have two teams pace wise that just aren't Helter Skelter, which uh, bodes well here. And so, you know, a lot of value on this number as well for us. And it exceeds if if Kyler Murray is uh, not in this game. Did return to practice on Wednesday, was throwing around, not, not really running around from what I saw. Uh, Colt McCoy 
is a little bit banged up, has the chest injury. If he does play as well, I know there were some beat writers that were out there that said, hey, like both quarterbacks probably are going to be great to go. We, they didn't make any effort to sign anybody, and then you kind of read the tea leaves, and they actually tried making a play for a quarterback this week on the Chiefs practice squad in Bouchelle, and the Chiefs called him up to the 53, and that is why Arizona did not sign a quarterback this week. So uh, let's go with this first half under in Arizona and Seattle under 24. Living with the date we've brought to the dance. It's been good to us the last couple of weeks. We're root for plenty of punts. Maybe we'll get some weather, a little bit of quarterback rust, get the holy trinity when it comes to first half unders between the Cardinals and Sea Chickens. Want to thank Should be a little chilly there too by the way seeing 47 degrees i know that's not that cold you're soft i mean that's not super cold but i imagine russell wilson's finger could tell us otherwise yes right i mean again we've we've talked about this for for two weeks now it's that you know his doctor said this was the nastiest looking finger they've operated on and it was should have been an eight-week injury and he returned in four and so yeah i i i don't see a situation where maybe he's 100 percent here either still that is a good thing then. Quarterback rush goes a long way. Run, run, run the football. Maybe one possession each way. 13-minute drives that end in field goals. And we'll be sitting pretty with another first half under ticket. Special thanks, as always, to John Sheeran, who joins us on Thursday. He gets two weeks off for good behavior. Holiday week coming up on the horizon. Payne, you want to share any uh, nuggets, tidbits, before we take a little break and we come back on Friday with the Bet the Board pregame show? No, that is everything. We'll see everybody next week. We'll announce it, whether it'll be up late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning. We'll play that by ear based on travel schedules, but we will be back next week. And then obviously 24 hours from now, the YouTube pregame show. Oh, always fun to try and finish out the week in style. So best of luck to all of you, our loyal listeners with all of your national football league investments this weekend, come Sunday afternoon with the Seahawks first half under ticket in hand. We'll see you at the window. Thanks for listening to Bet the Board. You can catch Todd and Payne every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday during football season, breaking down the biggest NFL and college football games. And to make sure you don't miss any free best bets, subscribe to Bet the Board on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.